what I noticed early on is most of the issues are completely solvable for people. And yep. it's just treating people to respect. And that's where I came up with one of my leadership philosophies is uh, everyone's a leader. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. All right, it's episode 164. Today, we're discussing how to cut turnover in half by leveraging data and empowering frontline leaders. Our guest this week is Mike White, founder and president of Seki. Now, Seki is a solution that manufacturers should be getting on their radar ASAP. It's an employee relationship management platform that generates instant performance reviews for frontline team members based on automated data like attendance, recognition, etc. It's all about making sure your best employees are sticking with you. More on that from Mike shortly. I'm also excited to say this is a good old-fashioned episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. This is a nice, long conversation full of stories recorded over beers at a bar. You might even hear some bar dice or darts going on in the background. I don't think that'll distract you, though, because here are a couple big things you can expect from this episode. First, much as you would do as if you were having a beer, we'll learn a bit more about Seki, Mike's current take on the workforce situation in manufacturing, and we'll spend a lot of time in his background story. Mike has worked for more than a couple big names, so we'll learn what ultimately led him into HR, his experience and tips for working through a downturn, and what drove him to Seki. Second, if I were to sum up the latter half of this conversation, I'd say it's a good bar conversation about issues impacting the manufacturing workforce and ways to solve them. We discuss recognition, we discuss leveraging data to make employee relations easier and how that impacts retention. We discuss the future of frontline work, plenty of content here. And if you want to learn more, well, make sure to go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 164. And before we begin, I want to say if you want to converse more when this episode is done, well, hey, request to join our Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. And there we have regular conversations about workforce topics, DE&I, new technologies in the space. And also, if it's just a good spot to connect with people in this industry. So again, the industry community over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. Shoot me a note if you want to join that group so I have context for any requests that come in. We do get a lot of requests to join in since it's a private group. I just want to make sure that the folks listening to this show, folks like you, are the ones getting preference into the group. Anyway, we recorded this episode at Mike's favorite bar in Milwaukee. So if you're at home, maybe grab a cold one or simply join us for a virtual beverage as we take a walk down Brady Street to the pub. Cheers from across the table, man. Mike, man. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Good. I want to get loosened up. Yes, absolutely. This is the way it was meant to be done over beverages, hanging out at a bar. 
since you picked the bar, tell us about the place. Where where are we at right now, and uh, what makes it special? We uh, well, Pete's Pub is my favorite bar, and what makes it special is uh, the Pete's son plays soccer with my son, mm, and okay. so that's what makes it special is uh, Pete Marshall, and we uh, I, I got introduced to Brady Street through him. So I'm not from Milwaukee, and uh, I'm from originally. I'm from Central Illinois, cornfields okay. and soybeans. Okay, I saw you had some connections to U of I. Yes, yeah, I'm a third generation Illini. Oh, so, there we go. All right, yeah, yeah. The first one that didn't play sports, but um, okay, <laughs> went into HR. The yeah, same difference. Yeah, uh, I, I, same difference. Okay, all right, yeah, same difference. Roll with that, yeah, but yeah, yeah HR, HR. You know, it's sports. I'm sure it's a football match yeah, every once in a while too. <laughs> yeah, uh, the trick to having a D1 athlete is not to marry a five foot one uh, person. But I, my mom's five one. So okay, I that's, got you. Uh, I, I went in the academic route. Fair. All right. Yeah, I saw you got. Got an education degree originally, and for anyone listening not from Milwaukee, I mean, this is we're on Brady Street, iconic nightlife street here. Yeah, I would argue becoming even more iconic. Like this has become one of the spots. It's I every time I've been here, I've had a blast. I mean, and and I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a bar guy. I'm not, I sure I I like beer, but I'm not a bar guy, and this is a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. And what makes it. You know, uh, actually, just leadership talk in general, it's fun to talk different industries. So, you know, you and I are from manufacturing, and so we talk to manufacturing leaders and what's that like to lead people and what's it like in your business. And it is crazy. Uh, I, we're going to talk about data here in a little bit. Yeah. It's crazy how much data goes into the bar business, and it's fascinating data. How long people are here, how many drinks they have, all that stuff is in, in inventory. It's really not that much different than what we do. I was going to say, like, I, because I, I worked at a dive bar in college and we did not have that type of data at all. It was very much, and this was back in like 2008, 2009. That was, that was old school the yeah. way it used to be done. Uh, much like manufacturing was still very old school in a lot of ways back then, too. Right. You go to some shops and you're like, oh man, I could, I could help these guys out so much if they just had one, mm-hmm. one little piece of data. You could make a difference. I, I've been in those small shops that are very old school, and I'm like, how do they make money? And uh, then I've also been in the shops where you're like, what can we do better here? What yeah. I mean, this thing looks looks like science fiction. So, I, I actually that that one I went to the Kia plant in uh, West Point, Georgia. Okay, so it was it was part of uh, I, I was part of a group bringing Caterpillar to Georgia, and they showed us around uh, the Kia plant and I was like this thing's from the future I mean it was it was awesome automation everywhere employee there was a lot of employees but still automated and so they were just the way they can interact with the line and so you take that example of the dive bar I I mean you got people that make it work right and then you have then you have the systems of the big infrastructure where they they're clocking in stuff they're Mm -hmm. they're keeping track of all that inventory same thing just I think a beer is a little bit cheaper than a car. Yeah, maybe maybe your next solution will be around frontline bartenders yeah. here in the beer industry. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're not. That's not what we were talking oh, yeah, about yeah. today. We're here to talk about Seki and one of what will be a number of frontline centric episodes of Manufacturing Happy Hour coming up. So let's dive in. Let's say you're hanging out at Pete's Pub and you're having a beer with someone, and someone asks you, "What is it that Seki does?" And that's Seki spelled. S e c c h i for anyone that's trying to Google it right yes, now. Yes, it's. Uh, 
I, I should go into where I came up with that name here. But, That's a good uh, drinking story. Like, we'll get to that. We'll get yeah, to that we'll in a second. Go so, in a minute. But, but yeah, when someone asks you what you do, how do you answer that as if you're at the bar with them? What I do, what we do is we cut turnover in half. That's what we do. And when I say that, people, you know, at a bar, I got to make sure they know what I'm talking about. So turnover. Uh, yeah. We, we, cut, we cut the turnover in half. And how we do that is employee relationship management. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and empowering through data. And if you have the right data and the right leaders, the right process, you can cut that turnover right, like within weeks of using their software. And so that's the the idea isn't isn't it isn't complicated, and that's one of the reasons it's so easily adopted. But it's as simple as as relationship management. It's a, it's that simple. Yeah. No, we're, we're going to be talking data leadership process throughout this conversation. I, I do, since you brought it up, where did you get the name Seki as well? We literally aren't, you're having yeah. beers right now, so I have to ask you. Right. So think about you're sitting there and you're like, hey, I got I to gotta name a company and you, you have manufacturing happy hour and, um, and you want that to show up on Google, right? So how do I get, how do I get my this software, this, this software that doesn't exist, what, uh-huh. you know, what am I going to name it? And I ended up, I ended up just trying like, okay, employee trail was my first shot. Okay. And then you Google employee trail and it shows up trails and then there's a billion results on employees. And I'm like, no one's ever going to, well, that doesn't stick. And then I'm go, and then I said, it's clarity. This is what, what we do is we bring clarity to the front lines Yeah. that, Leader, executive leaders have no idea what's going on, but now with with Seki, you have clarity of what's going on. And so, um, I ended up I ended up uh, having a friend, Josh, who was bragging about how clear his lake was uh, around this same time, the lake by his house. And a Seki disc actually measures the clarity of water. Okay. And so you go clarity. What does that have to do with anything? So we can look out at Lake Michigan right now, and I can tell you that it's clear today. Yeah. I just got back from the golf and I saw the golf and it's it was clear there too. Yeah. Those are two different clarities, right? And so this okay. guy Seki decides he's gonna measure the clarity of water and he he creates a Seki disc. You drop a disc into the water. Once you can't see the disc anymore, you pinch off a rope. Now I have a measurement. So he takes this okay. really obtuse concept of clarity of water and creates crystal clear measurement. And so Think about your workforce. I, I, I can walk into a plant. You've been in enough plants. You walk in. Within 15 minutes, you know how those employees are. Mm-hmm. Within Maybe within 10 minutes. And it, it's not necessarily all measurable. It's it's well, how are the communication boards? Who said hi to me? Who's smiling? Who? How are the employees interacting? How was the meeting? All those things go into it. But you don't have a measurement. And yeah. so with our software, you have a measurement. I can select an employee and tell you if they're good or bad with 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 a measurable data and and so that the Seki disc is uh, uh, a measurement of an obtuse uh, a tough thing to measure and we we're the same thing where employee performance is a tough thing to measure I think that's a great origin story I did not know Seki Uh, was an individual that was measuring the clarity of water and found a way to comparatively measure the clarity of water Um, I'm glad we started off with that bar conversation I've got one very much bar-centric question left before we kind of dive into your background. And I was listening to you on another podcast earlier today, 
And I heard you say that you're excited about the workforce challenges right now because it's forcing people to do things differently. Now, that's a very interesting comment because I know a lot of manufacturers that would say they're not excited about the workforce challenges right now. So my question then is, how are you seeing people start to do things differently because of these challenges? Yeah, so the challenge of not having the labor pool where we, you know, when I started working, the unemployment rate was, well, I started in boom and then it dropped off. The unemployment rate got as high as 10%, I think, in the county that we that I've uh, worked at John's Manville. So we could let somebody go and bring in another person. It felt like it was a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw that. I saw the way um, supervisors treated people, the way businesses treated people. And, and as an HR guy, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching leadership. We want to be the best. And uh, we want to treat people right with fair, respectful, all that stuff. And the market wasn't there to where we were incentivized to do that. Now, yeah. of course, I worked for a great company. We treated people well. But when we, when the market forces us to, to do stuff differently, you don't have a choice. So if you, if you have a jerk supervisor on your team right now, good luck. Good freaking luck. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're going somewhere else. You're going somewhere else. And so having having sites all over the U.S., I could see it. I, I You know, you meet a few people and you're like, yeah, something's off here. And- um, but there's there's no real consequence to being a jerk because people are like ah, I got to stay here it's a good job. Now we our level of leadership I I don't know how we'd ever measure this but I see it from the smallest businesses to the big big business. You have to take care of your folks and um, as our purpose statement with Seki is let great workers do great work. Now like get out of their way and just let them do their dang job. And it's a time right now that the the workforce has to treat people right or you will lose them because yeah. you know I, I i know people think it's money and it is money you have to pay you have to pay a good rate and all that but really it's are they do they feel valued and i i've been teaching and coaching and mentoring and all last 15 years of how to treat people um i used to call my uh, uh i used to call the uh, a respectful work for a place training, which is union avoidance training. I, I used to go around and do that. Um, and I used to call it be nice to people training. Like, just be a good dude. Just be yeah. a good person to people. Like, it's not that, it's not complicated, but until you have the incentive there, it doesn't doesn't happen at the same rate. So right now, what I'm seeing is, uh, even at the conferences we've been at, the the leadership level is is raising and it's, it's going to have to continue. Well, I like your comment that right now there are consequences to being a jerk. And yeah, we yeah. see that not just with frontline workers. We see that with a lot of employees that have options right now and are able to make the jump. Despite some softening in the job market, there's still that opportunity to go somewhere where you will get treated right. So I love the mission. I want to ask you more about your background because it looks like you went to Illinois Wesleyan, you focused on education, and then you got your master's in HR. And like you said, you're, you got some 
uh, University of Illinois heritage. Yes. So I'm curious, what what drew you to the field of HR initially? Well, you say field, that's you, uh, you're leading me into. You don't even know this, but uh, so I grew up working in cornfields. Sure, and uh, my dad's a farmer, and it seemed like there was a good shot of that based on where you grew up. Yeah, I still have on my resume. Fifteen years later, I, I went into the interview uh, at Masterlock and. Uh, I, I have detasseling, so I, I ran detasseling crews on okay. my resume. If I if I applied for a job in the Midwest, I would put it on there because it used to be a rite of passage. I don't know if it still is anymore, but you'd work in cornfields, and so I I I, uh, I started in whenever it was legal and a little before probably, and uh, ended up um, wor- working for the wrestling coach, and then I did that for a few years. Then my dad said, "Hey, do some cleanup work for us." And then he paid me by the out, or he paid me by the acre. At, at some point, I got some guys by the acre. And then um, I think when I was 16, 15, uh, maybe I was 15, because I had, my partner had to be 16 because I didn't have a car. And we end up we end up just killing it. We ended up just, at one point, my brother and I had 80 people working for us. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was doing HR work. Yeah. I was doing onboarding because I was like, I'm sick of paying for people to learn how to do everything and wear the right clothes and, you know, be safe. And so I created checklists. And then I um, I ended up having orientation programs where I could get most of, that inv- most of that stuff done before they were on the clock. And then my my claim to fame uh, was getting rid of water breaks. And you go, how do you do that in a cornfield? Well, one of the kids' dads worked at a Bell Helmet factory and they made hydro packs. Okay. So I got them hydro packs. So I my brother and I, we ended up just, just making too much money and we did a really good job. And here I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going, Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm going to make 20, like literally that's my line when, when people complain about pay, I was like, Hey, um, I was going to be a teacher. So the entry level job pays more than what my brain was at. Sure. <laughs> so I can relate of, I think it was like average salary was 24 K out of school. Maybe it's 25. And, um, um, so I made the switch and I looked at MBA programs, ended up running across the masters of HR, uh, for U of I. And I was like, wait a second, 95% placement rate, average salary was three times the teacher salary. Yeah. And I thought I could go back to teaching, but I can't go back into business. And, um, just tons of manufacturers recruit HR folks out of U of I. So. Yeah, that's great. No, I uh, I think you should have that cornfield experience on your LinkedIn profile. You got to tell that story more. That makes a lot of sense because you were engaging in an HR standpoint with the frontline workers on yep. the cornfield. So very cool how this came to be. Now, when I look at your, let's say, quote unquote, professional career, like uh, Fortune 500 career, let's call yeah. it that, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you spent a lot of time with two Fairly iconic manufacturing companies like John's Manville. Yep. And then you went over to Caterpillar after that. I'm curious, what did you notice when you went into the field in your first role? I think this was around 2006 with John's Manville. What struck you about the nature of frontline work at that moment in time? So I was celebrating that I got into the building construction division and this building construction of the the division that built houses sure in okay. 2006 i was like yes <laughs> i got placed with the building group they are making so right much now. money my bonus is going to be sweet 
and then you know what happened. Sure. And then our warehouse yeah. was full of insulation. We made um, fiberglass insulation. It was such a cool process. Mm-hmm. Um, what I noticed early on is most of the issues are completely solvable for people. And yep. it's just treating people to res- respect. And that's where I came up with one of my leadership philosophies is uh, everyone's a leader. Like literally everyone's a leader. And the guy, the guy that the, the janitor, he he and I would have conversations, and he did. He said so many things. Larry Barry, R.I.P. Yeah, I, I miss that guy. But um, Larry would like just say things that I picked up on, and I'm like, hey, I should be doing, I should be doing this differently. I should be talking to people differently. And and he he didn't know it at the time, but he very much influenced the way I interacted with folks. Interesting. Uh, and then getting out on the line, I was lucky enough. I, I had a boss, um, Joe, out of New Jersey. He's a guy that he goes, we don't. Yeah, he goes, we don't stab people in the back in New Jersey. We stab them in the face. And I said, I said, all right, all right yeah, you okay, man? And he scared me. And he he was a guy that worked every job in the plant. And he put an impression on me. He spent time with me. He said, look, you've never worked a day in your life. And I'm like, no, I worked in cornfields. Yeah. And he's like. No, you didn't work a day in your life. You, you went to school. You knew you have a vision of where you're going. You didn't. You didn't work, like real work, and where you come in every day. And this is this is just like. Do you think that you're going to do the same thing every day? And do you think they care about profits? Do you think they care about making you more money? Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect. Yeah, the guy that sits there and watches insulation go by. Yeah, how much our profit is mm-hmm. and. And I, I, I can like picture where I was when he had that conversation because I was so upset that he told me I didn't work because yeah. I pride yeah. myself on work. <laughs> and, um, and, and Joe really, really taught me like the respect of the front line. And um, needless to say, I never put my degree up anywhere and there's no reason to in a, a factory. The, the other thing that that factory taught me is one is I, I took a lot, of, a lot of heat about never buy a, 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 a Audi in the deep south and show up um it was used it was cheaper than all their trucks it yeah was, but i i rolled into that plane with an audi and i just caught so much yeah hell. that was yeah. not the first impression you wanted to make was it no horrible first impression yeah. the second thing is when you're when you're sitting there and you you think you're smart like i got my degree and that i think this is something that i love to focus on the front line i think i'm smart and you get humbled over and over and over again like just because it, somebody has a degree has no relation to their intelligence, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I just experienced that, and I, and, and it, it's honestly one of the best things that ever happened to my ego. Like, yeah, I just I got owned. I got, I got guys that really taught me how to, you know, as I'm growing up, I'm very, I was very cocky, and and I just got like, hey, I'm not, I, I need to listen to these folks. Yeah, now it makes that makes a lot of sense. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. If you're a maintenance leader, then you definitely need to learn about Traction. Traction is an all-in-one hardware software solution that integrates condition monitoring, IoT sensors, and an asset management software. More importantly, they make your maintenance department more streamlined, reliable, and profitable. So, if you work in maintenance or lead a team of maintenance folks, then don't miss episode 127 featuring their founder, Igor Marinelli. 
There you'll hear the full story behind Traction, and you'll hear why Igor truly believes that maintenance leaders are the industrial champions that are bringing the future of machine monitoring to life. He shares why frontline teams are at the center of industrial innovations and how to move past proof-of-concept projects and actually implement new ideas. Tune in by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 127 or wherever you get your podcasts. Traction, leave breakdowns and production delays behind and invest in real predictive maintenance. Learn more at traction.com. And now, back to today's episode. I'm glad to see that we're in a space where people are putting, I don't want to say less value on degrees, but I think they're understanding what degrees and not having degrees really mean. Like it's not an indicator of your success or your intelligence. Like you're saying, we're definitely seeing that shift in, in, I I was going to say in the field, not to continue the pun, but like just in society in general, starting to realize that. And I think- as the world's become more connected, we've seen what countries like Germany have done, where like the apprenticeship program is like a highly respected field that, you know, we kind of ignored for yeah. decades. So I think along those lines of being humbled and, you know, being cocky and all that at 22, 23 years old, I, I should say the HR manager quit right about this ta- time the downturn happened. And oh, they, okay. they put me in charge as HR. Oh, interesting. And I didn't know what I was doing. So it, it was really great. But when you think about value and success, I, I had a conversation with, he was a maintenance planner. And he said, look, Mike, you think success is, you know, education, you're moving around. He's like, dude, I got my house on the hill, which in Georgia at that time, you could, before before they built all the plants there and made a lot of money, you could buy land for almost nothing, put a house on it. And he's like, I have a house on the hill. I chuck, I clock out and I don't have to worry about this place. Like I, I, his success is exactly what the goal he set out to do. Um, when we, when we look back, you know, when I look back in time, I'm like, I, my six, my measure of success was only one side. And I think that's one of the problems with you look at degrees or you look at mm-hmm. colleges, which college you go to look at success. Cause he didn't have to move. He was making a hell of a lot more money because he's a maintenance player, as you you and I both know. Those yeah. guys are get I I get paid a lot, and um and he 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 was living his dream, and he was doing it at home, and he got to go to church on Sunday and see his family every night. Yeah, he knew what he wanted out of life, and he found a way to get it. Right, like and so didn't overcomplicate it. Right, you don't have to be VP, you don't have to be director to have that success, and and uh, it just Seki and. And what you're doing too is just the respect of people that actually build, you know, like I don't build my hand, uh, you know, you and I shook hands. We, we don't build, yeah. but you just respecting the, the people that put this table together and put this, put the equipment you're using together. It's, is is a different mindset. And yeah. I, I'm glad to see more and more in what you're doing and what some of your other colleagues are doing with manufacturing. It's, it's awesome. So a couple of my takeaways from this first part of the conversation. Um, I like what you said about everyone's a leader. Your story about Barry, Larry, I think you were trying to remember the Larry name. Larry Barry is his La- name. Larry Barry. I remember oh, his name. really? It's his Larry last... Barry. No way. Okay. I thought I, you were Larry... like, I'm trying to remember what it was. No. Yeah. So it's literally Larry Barry. That's a great yes, name. That's a is. great name. He, he was such a good dude. He invited me. Like, I got to go to his church. He's such a caring man and just respectful and like he knew I was young and let me, he told yeah. me a few times, he goes, that ain't right what you just did. And I'm like, 
What are you talking about? This is the janitor walking yeah, in. This is man. very Breakfast Club. If you've seen that movie where the yeah. janitor's like the wisest person in the movie. Yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. He did pass away a few years, but he he was. It's funny when I get back with that crew and I'm back in Georgia and we talk about him. He's good dude, just great guy. Well, R.I.P. Larry great. Berry. Yep. Great lessons. Obviously, he's left uh, left a legacy that people remember. You know, I've got to ask you. I didn't plan to ask this, but now that I think of it, you were an HR leader during the downturn in like 2008. How did you get through that? What was that like? I mean, someone that listens to this podcast a year or two down the line, we're going to have ebbs and flows in our economy. Some people say we're struck like it's a challenge right now. How did you lead through that, particularly when you're in a role that's very people centric? Yeah. So it's, I did a lot of Googling for different careers and I, I was like, I I remember me and uh, the lady uh, who who I call my HR mom, the lady who taught me how to really care for people in at work in a professional way. We got so good at laying people off. We were just like, hey, here's your layoff. We knew how to do it where they'd maximize their unemployment benefit. And we, we would go up and down, I mean, just rolling layoffs that you never felt like we were ever going to get out of it. And I'm like, why did I go into manufacturing? This is the worst. And like I said, a race to the bottom. What kept me in it is those are the opportunities where things go down. And I'm, in, I'm all of a sudden that I, I got a call. I was in this leadership development program at Johns Manville. And they said, we're ending the leadership development program. I'm like, dude, I moved to middle of nowhere, Georgia. Like, I don't, I don't have any friends, family, like what, what? And then, and then a few weeks later they called me, uh, but opening for the HR manager came up and they put me in it with no experience. They would have never done that ever. I, you would have never, I wouldn't do that today. Yeah. With no experience, 300 person plant, you, uh, United Steelworkers. And it was just opportunity for me. I couldn't see it at the time, but it was such an opportunity and Karen, the plant manager took me under her wing and, and, and just made me Good. And then during that downturn, the problems we have now are nothing compared to problems we had. Like, yeah, it, it, not finding people. It's like, oh man, we're not going to make even more money. It was yeah. like, when are we going to get shut down? And yeah. We're shutting down plants left and right. And later on, I got to negotiate a shutdown agreement or be a part of a shutdown agreement negotiation, which was four weeks of just pain of like seeing people in pain and like seeing people you go, there are people at that plant john spanville that couldn't read mm. and you go what what's going to happen to them like you know morally it was it was scary and luckily we were able to keep that plant in georgia running and then they shut down that pimber and the new jersey plant and it just got started up again mm -hmm. like a few years ago so oh, okay it, it it's come around but it was a different time and i i spent time looking around looking at other careers but i just kind of grinded it out not by not on purpose but sure well it sounds like you personally had an opportunity to open up that wouldn't have opened up otherwise. No in way. This scenario. But I wanted to hear that because I do think we <laughs> make a big deal about how challenging things are right now. And I've just been thinking to myself, it's like, because I was, I would say, fortunate to be getting a job during the downturn or trying to look for a job because you know, you didn't take it for granted. You were just like, oh, thank goodness I found something, right? And yeah. I'm just trying to keep it in perspective. Um, you and I both have long careers ahead of us. Like, we're going to have to deal with downturns again. It's not if, it's when. Yeah. So 
Um, appreciate you sharing that. I know those are challenging moments to work through, but I like the the spin you were able to put on it. Let's jump to Caterpillar because yeah. you went there in around 2012. I want to ask you, what was different about the state of frontline work at that time? What did you notice going from John's Manville to Caterpillar? So John's Manville is relatively small. What do you? It, it's not small, but when you go from JM to Caterpillar, mm-hmm. it's small. Yeah, and um, I went. I, I I was able to convince the plant manager and the HR director. I had all the. I checked all the boxes. I'd worked with local colleges in the area, um, technical schools. We we'd done some really cool stuff at Johns Manville to change change that culture. And um, I was able to convince them. I go, hey, you know, I know that it's going to be fourteen hundred people. It ended up being eighteen hundred by the when I left. But my biggest plant uh, was was. 350 at that point and mm-hmm. so um i maybe did the hr for 500 folks and that plant was 1800 and so the thing we had for us is, is the timing was excellent the state of georgia is i can't say enough about doing business with state of georgia they were great um frontline leaders we were able to pick really really good people okay um and i i would say the folks that we had in that startup team we we as a leadership team set a very good vision of what we wanted our culture to be. And we talked about it. We, I still, I still laugh about this cause I, I just haven't seen it since we, we had a schedule of hiring 24 people a week mm-hmm. or every other week. And then it ended up being weekly. And then it ended up being the, one of the managers sat me down and said, if you don't hire 300, I don't know how you're not going to have a job in the next month. Like they put, there was a lot of pressure to hire folks. Wow. So how do you even how, how do you keep hiring that many people? How do you even keep track of that? I, you, you you don't. Yeah, you, you really don't. Okay, and um, I'm starting to see where you might have come up with the idea to form Seki. We'll get there later. Right. This is, so, I don't want to show you. Like I pride I pride myself on caring about people, and so when I was with when I was when we were hiring people so fast and connecting with them, it, it, it was a challenge. And then trying to keep track of who you're who you're connected with, who you're leading with. That moment, though, at CAT, the challenge was we were hiring 1,400 people. Well, the population's 120,000 Yeah, in the, air, in the area at the time. It's bigger now. But um, I was like, we're hiring 1% of the workforce. How the heck are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. And so our whole leadership team was out in the community. We were doing speaking events every time we had the chance. Um, that all being said, we, we had to attract them. Then we had to keep them. So how did you keep them? And that's where we had great great frontline leadership interactions and relationships. It's all relationships. That's, yeah. you know, it's cliche to say, whether you're in sales or you're in leadership, it's cliche, but the the group we had built strong, strong relationships. And so we had a, we had great engagement scores, but the idea of Seki actually started at John's Manville. Oh, really? Or the, okay. the, the concept of it. Yeah. Well, Trying to think, do we jump to that right now? I'm okay. Well, the, well, I'm because I'm one thing I wanted want to ask is so you made the jump to Caterpillar. I'm curious, were the changes you saw in the state of frontline work there? Would you say it's more it was it was more a reflection of Caterpillar or more like a reflection of the fact that it was six years later, things had changed in industry, we'd gone through a downturn. I'm curious. We, we were just coming out of the downturn in 2012. Like the business was there. Yeah. And, and, and you know, one of the highlights for us, I mean, this is where, you know, politicians, we, uh, this is a story for you. So 
we are having so we have we have great leaders we've got a great team at cat we're doing all cool stuff we're helping the community all these projects that were on hold in the community got approved because they're like shoot we have these people have health insurance and this is where like the leadership team just had a deep deep sense of purpose of what we're doing sure we're making caterpillar money sure we're go- it's going to be awesome uh for our building construction products division all that other stuff but we knew that we are giving people jobs or we are they've earning they're earning jobs that have health insurance they have 401ks that they now have a future that they didn't have before and the hospital added a another building because i don't know if it's because but it didn't hurt that we hired 1800 people that went from these small time shops to cat that was yeah. that was a huge challenge of recruiting people that they got their job because their daddy like they, and i can't tell you how many people just thought i would hire somebody because i knew because i knew them oh hire my son i'm like no that's not how big corporations work yeah. buddy yeah uh the, the state of it was i would say caterpillar had the infrastructure and systems to train folks which was really helpful and the the people that we moved in, we moved, um, I think we had about 250 management employees there. I would say probably uh, 20-ish were moved in from other cat plants. And so those folks having the systems in place, that's what cat had is systems. Okay. John's Manville, although it's big and they had systems, it wasn't as centralized and funded as it would have been like in the big corporation. Got it. Okay. Centralized funded systems. That's what separates the systems apart at a like one of the world's largest enterprises versus your regular enterprise. Let's yeah. call it that. Yeah. So the downside of that is like I, I implemented a, a weld test and holy moly, I had to get it past I think it took me six months, maybe, maybe more, eight months we're hiring 300 welders mm-hmm. and you know you, you, people that are listening are like how do you, do you hire 300 welders and i was like i do not know we are just going to figure this out yeah well we we had a weld screening test well to get it get it approved yeah. to use with the state of georgia's help we had to convince probably 12 different people at caterpillar that this wasn't going to be discriminatory and we're not going to get sued and all that whereas at john's manville I probably could have got it past three people and got it approved. So the cha- to make change there is really hard. Sure. On, on the flip side is you have a lot of efficiency and resources to execute when you when you need to execute. Yeah. Uh, at a front as a frontline employee, they're not seeing that that we're trying to make sure they don't see that bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. But no, it makes sense. That makes sense. I'm going to go back to the question I was thinking about asking you is now how did all this lead to Seki? I know you had some other yeah. experiences in there, but. I'm really curious how Seki came to be. And you mentioned it was at John's Manville was where you kind of first had that idea. Yeah. So um, we had an access database. So so I walk into John's Manville. I don't know any better. And the supervisors start giving me a hard time. Uh, They're like, you don't let us get rid of any of the bad employees. And I, I was like, what do you mean? You just have to do your homework. Just do your documentation well, you don't, it takes too long and this, and they're complaining about all the processes. And I'm like, how do I make this easier? And um, at the time we had a facility that uses an access database and I was able to get some folks together that helped me create coachings and disciplines. So that system started off as a way to get rid of bad folks, which it did. We were able to 
get the documentation in place. When your documentation's in place, oh my gosh, engagement goes skyrocketed because nobody wants to work next to somebody that's lazy. Mm-hmm. And whether it's on this podcast or in a factory. And so I built or we built this tool um, to get rid of bad people. That's like the, the origin story is that. But then we add coaching and then we add recognition and that access database is the like was it was the idea of like hey i if if we make a it's where i learned if i make things easy for supervisors they'll do the right thing mm-hmm. and i look if you look at any of your processes are they hard for people to do and um, back to the purpose statement let great workers do great work right and yeah. so yeah so we did that access database then fast forward 15 year 14 year or whatever 13 years and I call Melinda, the, the lady who had the access database that backfilled my job. I said, you know, I was at Masterlock and uh, we came out of negotiations and we had these grievances and I probably shouldn't say how much we had to pay for those. Sure. But yeah. we didn't do a good job keeping track of our documentation. Got it. Okay. And I meet with Tony. I'm going to mention his name because he lives in town and buddies with him now. Yeah. Tony Rainey. You know, if you've ever dealt with labor unions, there there's guys that, and this goes back to being humble, there's guys that do the job and there's guys who can really do the job. And Tony's one of those guys. And we, we're arguing about somebody coming back to work that had this horrible attendance problem. And um, I end up saying, hey, let's sidebar. And he and I go out in the room and I'm like, you're just kicking my butt in this argument. What do we have to do? To get these employees, we're going to have to bring them back. Okay, fine. But we got to make sure this doesn't continue. So what are we going to do? And in my head, I just wished I had that system. I wished I had that access database. Yeah. And I go ba- I go back home. I'm at my parents' farm. And um, I called Melinda because it just was in my head. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I go, are you still using that database? And she says, yeah. She goes, wow, we have like 10 plants. And I'm like... 15 or I guess it's 13 years ago and you, you, you expanded it. Like that was like, okay, that's old technology. Add in 15 years of experience. What could this look like? Yeah. And that's where I, as a director, so I couldn't, I couldn't do it at on, on master lock time. I had to do it on my own time. So I had to, I had to quit. But at that point I was like, this works. This is a problem everywhere. I'm going to do it. Well, we added recognition. All of a sudden, I built a tool to fire people. Now it's a tool to retain people. It, mm-hmm. It's the it's the easiest thing too. It's just having the data. I was I want to ask kind of the flip side of this. How do frontline employees feel about systems like this? Because I like your line that you said. Hey, no one wants to work next to someone that's lazy. But how do you? frontline workers how do the team members respond to know when it's like oh man they've got data on this now i'm curious what your take on that is so we talked a lot about the bad side of leadership and employee relationship management the bad side is yeah there's these people that are really bad but the good side is i know like it's funny this month uh, our recognitions doubled in thanks um in november mm-hmm. so we have over uh we have a measurement of all the connect. We call them connections, whether it's attendance. Recognitions are part of the platform. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Part of the platform is recognition. Mm-hmm. So our recognitions doubled in, in November. And I'm like, what's going on? It's not like we doubled our 
population of users. Yeah. It's because Thanksgiving. Everybody's being grateful. Oh, right there you go. Yeah, okay, yeah. That makes sense. That's cool. So, That's so, a cool data point. Yeah. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Well, I can tell you how many recognitions are sent out at each one of our customers. I can tell you. And the employees are receiving a text message within our platform that says, thank you for doing X, Y, or Z. Mm. And got a little story on that. I sat down with CEO and I said, yeah, this was one of our early adopters. It was, it was last year. And I said, hey, do you know this guy, uh, Bill? He, yeah. said, he, he actually said yes, which I was like, dang, he knows his people. I mean, they have 700 employees. And uh, uh, he goes, yeah, I, I, I heard about that guy. And I go, did you know that they, this company does logistics? They systematically lost two pallets. Mm-hmm. This entry-level guy got it back in the system, co- communicated to the whole team, got it to the customer last week. And he's like, that's awesome. I go, when are you going to Fort Worth next? He said, two weeks. I said, go shake Bill's hand and tell him you found those two, that you appreciate him finding those two pallets. So that executive level view to know exactly what that person did, the engagement, I mean, is Bill ever going to leave? The CEO knows his yeah. name and what he does. Good point. So, so of course, this program was, we talked a lot about the negative side. This program was built to just kind of CYA. But then what happened is as you, as you, as if you, ever heard of software building, you listen to the customers, you're doing new features. This is a complete culture development tool. So mm-hmm. I said, what were you said, what do you do? You cut turnover in half. How do you do that? Well, what if I could tell you exactly who does your work and exactly what they've done? And you're an executive. So when you go to visit a plant, you have a picture of the person, you know how many days they missed, you know how much, you know what they've been coached on, you know what they're doing great. And to break it down to a level that even machine level or process, it's it's just unprecedented transparency for the execs. Well, one of the initial questions I wanted to answer during this conversation was, you know, what does it mean to simplify simplify performance in employee relationship management? And I think your stories have really shined a light on that. The next round of our interviews coming up right after a word from our sponsor. Gray Solutions isn't just a systems integrator. They're a team of intellectual rebels on a mission to revolutionize smart manufacturing through innovation. Now, I've worked with a lot of systems integrators before, and I can say that the crew at Gray Solutions is the first group that comes to mind when I'm looking for a team with the creativity to solve unique problems in the automation world. While plenty of companies have the tech, Gray Solutions has the talent. Their 275 solutioneers and counting are in the trenches with their customers every day, collaborating and overcoming the challenges of modern manufacturing. At Gray Solutions, they let curiosity lead their solutioneers to develop better outcomes for the manufacturers they serve. And if you want to hear how they do that, make sure to check out episode 158 of Manufacturing Happy Hour for a full interview with their founder and CEO, Walker Maddox. Walker has stories that showcase his team's true expertise in digital transformation, OT cybersecurity, robotics, vision, process packaging, turnkey solutions, you name it. You'll hear how Walker has created a culture where solutioneers are empowered to create smarter solutions and blaze new trails in automation. To listen, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 158 or head to graysolutions.com to connect with a solutioneer today. When curiosity leads, success follows. And now, back to today's episode. (music) 
One one thing you mentioned at the start of the interview was because you mentioned you cut turnover in half. I think that's yep. going to be one of the things people remember from this conversation. And you mentioned it's because you it's it's data, it's leadership and process. I've got a question along these lines because when I looked at your LinkedIn earlier, you talk about data, teamwork, and courage as the values that Seki holds dear so yes. what is let, let's let's revisit this a little bit what what why data teamwork and courage why those three and what do those have to do with employee relationship management so when you generally think about employee relationship management you don't think about data mm-hmm. and that that mostly has to do with you're like oh they're a good leader they're a great leader and we want to bring this level of transparency with data that we're no longer making feelings decisions with folks. Yeah. We're making data-driven decisions and we're taking away the administrative work around those data-driven. Let great workers do great work. Get the data in front of people. We are a data-driven business. Manufacturers are data-driven companies. We align well. You add in the teamwork and actually it says in our, in our little sheet, uh, that's not on the web, our internal sheet is that everyone's a leader. So that's the teamwork of, okay, I'm going to listen to everyone. doesn't mean I have to do it, but I'm going to listen to them because there's something I can learn from everyone. And even your worst employee, you can learn something from. Even and your best employee, you better be learning from. And then courage is, hey, I always wondered why HR people uh, had to worry about having a seat at the table. I never really had that problem. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm running into HR folks that, that we, we sold HR for a little bit. And HR, quite frankly, doesn't, a lot of people in HR don't have the courage to make the change or add or propose this. They know how wasteful some of their processes are, but they don't want to say, hey, I have the courage to change that. Interesting. Yeah, it's in. So we want to work with people that want to make bold decisions because it's the easiest thing for us to say. Oh, we already have an HRIS system. Oh, our time clocks do that automatically. Yeah, they don't. They freaking yeah. don't. I. They don't. They don't. They don't. Anybody that thinks out there that your time clocks are doing stuff automatically for you and keeping track of, of employees and creating a relationship, I challenge you. I, I will come out to your plant for free. And I can process <laughs> math it and I can show you that it's not happening. But so you, you add in that courage piece of like, hey, we're a new, we're, we're relatively new technology. We're, we're two years old and a year operational. And so you got to take courage to trust that we can execute. Mm-hmm. And also you have to take, you have to take the step as a leader to think your supervisors are capable of leading people. If you don't think supervisors are capable, if you're cowardly and think the supervisors can't do it. Oh, my super, I hear that sometimes. Oh, supervisors won't do it. I haven't had an adoption problem with supervisors with our product. It just doesn't happen because yeah. it makes their life so it's much easier. It's an empowering product is what it sounds like. It is very empowering. And it's it's funny that you talked about like the, you know, clocking in, clocking out, because when I first started doing my research on Seki and on you and trying to understand what does this system do, those are one of the first things that jumped out at me. But- I don't want to make this overblown, but it, I haven't really thought about that much during this conversation because it really feels like more of a, I don't want to say a character tracking platform, but it's a good way to, you know, capture what someone's real character is, Yeah, um, was how I've interpreted some aspects of our conversation. 
Right. So one of the features is we looked at a holistic view. Imagine if you could look at a 12-month calendar and I could show you the, the things you did good, the things you did bad, the things, the dates you missed in a one visual view. Like that, I have your performance. In a snap of fingers, I have your performance. And it's real data. It's not, oh, I feel like they did this. And, and that's another misnomer is like, oh, we have performance reviews at our company. Oh, oh, you do? You, your frontline leaders that direct 40 people are writing performance reviews for each employee that are meaningful and your employees care about it? No, they don't. They don't. And um, I, I feel like I'm like attacking now, but I, I am. I'm like... It's foolish to think, and this is another story of, of that John's Manville plan. I built this humbling experience. I built this great performance review process and I rolled it out to the supervisors. Didn't get their feed, you know, normal HR guy stuff. Yeah. I didn't get their feedback. I just kind of like, hey guys, supervisor meeting, you all are doing this next, you know, it's probably in October. They had to do it in December and they're like, you're freaking crazy. They basically rolled this piece, nice piece of paper and threw it back at me. We're not doing it. It's, it's an hour to set up. It's an hour to get them off the floor. By the time I talk with them, then they're going to have an issue. So now I have meetings with you. This is not meaningful. To, this is not a good thing for us. And so one of the things I like to do is break things down simply. And the simple thing is hourly performance management. Did you show up on time every day scheduled? Did you do something great? Did you do something wrong? That's it. That's, and, a, that's a very simple way to break it down. I like that. Put it now. You you carry a booklet. I carry a booklet. Everybody yeah. that listens to Manufacturing Happy Hour carries around a book. We all do it. Mm -hmm. Go to go to a meeting in a manufacturing plant. You see it. The book could be on your phone too. Some I, people have a very disciplined way of keeping notes on their phone. Yes, there are there are. Didn't need to be a literal booklet. I just want to make sure yes. folks out there listening knew that as there well. are there are some they, there's some really cool one notes. Yeah. Um. That being said, is if you could take your book mm -hmm. and I could pull out. All the employees that weren't, the dates, they weren't there. Yeah. The things that did great, the things that did bad, and I could put it on a one sheet. Mm -hmm. And you sit down to do your performance review and see it in color. I mean, I'm, I mean, the, the, one of the customers, the supervisor is like, you just saved me hours of, hours and hours of work. And the best part, it's all defensible because it's all documented. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think the time HRIS, we're not an HRIS system. I don't want to be HR. No ops manager wants an HRIS system. Mm -hmm. uh, there's 50 clicks. We're a employee relationship program that's built for ops leaders. Yeah. And you've talked about how it's simplified for them as well. And I like the way you simplified it with your your three bullets you listed right there. And and by the way, for everyone out there that wants to check out Seki, we're going to have links in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. Again, that's S-E-C-C-H-I. I'm going to spell it multiple times yes. out loud so people know how to find it. No, it's not like S-E-K-I or something like no, that. No, S-E-C-C-H-I. It's Italian. Angelo Secchi. Yes, we got you covered there. So we're getting to the end of our beers and we're also getting to the end of our conversation. So I only have a couple more questions. This one's a big one. I want you take this however you want, answer it however you want. Are we entering the age of the frontline worker? Because this is a constant theme on the podcast lately. People that have created solutions that are meant to, I'll say, empower the frontline worker in different ways. Like some of them are how-tos. You're doing a platform that's very HR-centric. Are we entering the age of the frontline worker? A hundred percent. The all-stars, you know, think about running backs in the 90s for football, right? Like Emmett Smith, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Arthur Falk and right Marshall at the Falk. end of the 90s. Thurman yeah. Thomas, right? Like, we all knew the star running backs. Yeah. And then you moved into the two backs. Now running backs are, uh, you know, there's some standouts. but They're, they're not- like some three-headed monsters on teams that have three different yes. running backs they rotate between. Yes. And, and so the stars were the running backs. Yeah. And now the stars, I mean, uh, I'll call out a Wisconsin native and friend of one of our co-founders. Joe Thomas just got into the Hall of Fame, a Wisconsin grad, O-lineman, right? It's like the stars aren't just running backs anymore and running backs and quarterbacks. And so I think when you apply that analogy to manufacturing, it's like the front line's kind of been the O-line. The underappreciated group of folks that have to go every day, grind, that run into problems, that have to fix things. And then you got the quarterback uh, in the front office that has to pay more attention to those folks. And I think you want to win, you want to have the smartest front line smartest O-line you can have, the one who knows how to do the play. And, you know, and, and going back to the 90s and being a part of, you know, being educated at the, at the back end of the 90s is you, you look at what GE did with Six Sigma. And Six Sigma is mostly, I mean, I'm simplifying it, it's it's good project management, but it's mostly listening to your frontline people. Yeah. And then lean manufacturing, listen to your frontline people. That start, that it's already been in motion for 20 plus years. Now we're at the level where, we, we, but there's events where high school graduates uh, put on their plumbing hats and put on their manufacturing hats instead of their colleges because we are, we are moving to, oh my gosh, these jobs are going to be, these jobs are going to be so impactful and a really, really great process tech is more valuable than a, than a, uh, than a manager with a degree. Cause, yeah. Cause we can, I mean, I, I figured it out. I'm like, HR can be pretty, replaced pretty dang easy, but. That guy who knows how to use the melter, the guy who can weld three different uh, machines. That's specialized, and it takes a while to be able to finesse it like yeah. those folks can. Yeah, so I think we are. I think the tables are are really headed that way, and I, and wages are headed that way too, which is good. I think generally, um, I think I I'm more attached to a uh, uh, respectful work environment than the highest paying. I saw I saw a lot of folks at Caterpillar in the legacy plants that were so high paying they couldn't leave and i felt like almost sorry for guys that just hated coming into work and they were stuck yeah whereas and maybe inflation has caught up that's a few years old but whereas you go to a plant that's a startup and you're you're at startup wages and you know it's going to grow but it's not as good as maybe somewhere down the road yeah i i I think this is all a good thing for the frontline employee well, I want to make a quick point that has almost nothing to do with this podcast, but I have known the value of front lines for a long time as a former St. Louis Rams fan because the the Rams are obviously a former St. Louis team, and we had Orlando Pace yeah. as a critical part of the O-line back in the greatest show on turf era. So, right. Um, but yes, the, the, the running backs, your Jerome Bettises, your Marshall Falks of the world certainly had more of the spotlight, but I thought that was a great analogy to talk about how we're starting to share uh, the glory of the line, if you will. So my next question is a follow-up to this then. What do we think the nature of the frontline worker looks like two to three years down the line? Look in your crystal ball and tell us, uh, or look in your pint glass and tell us what you see a couple years down the line. You know, my confidence is up this much. So 
I am fairly certain two to three years down the line, I don't think the workforce, you know, I've listened to enough and read enough about the demographics. I don't think the workforce is going to change. I don't think it's going to change. And you, you and I are going to the same trade shows. The automation is really kicking ass right yeah. now, right? Yeah. So the automation is going to push and, and going to drive productivity and AI is going to be there too. But the frontline, the frontline employee that is a critical thinker that maybe when you and I were coming up would have been pushed into college, they're going to go 100,000. It's going to be the same as the plumber story and the skilled trades right now. They're going to go, wait a second, I, I, all this debt, this doesn't really make sense to get this English degree or this journalism degree. They're going to go, I'm good with my hands. I stay at home. Uh, I don't have to move uh, and and chase this career. I can have a career here in in especially Milwaukee, right? Like mm -hmm. you're if you're a good process tech here, I see them being paid on the upside of definitely more than HR. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. My prediction is automation, automation. AI is gonna AI is gonna drive out a lot of management roles that are just pushing paper right now, and that's gonna put people um, going. Hey, wait a second! You know, I remember when my dad taught me to, you know, hammer this nail or or turn this wrench. Maybe I should maybe I should go back to that tech school. Maybe I should check that apprenticeship out. Yeah, and um, the technology that's available is just making these jobs more appealing than they were even just five to ten years ago. Like these are tech jobs now at the end of the day right the entry-level job is is a, the first thing you do when you're a maintenance I, i'm not a maintenance guy but sure i know the training first thing you do is you ask the operator what's up yeah you know? and if the operator knows what's up it's almost certain that that operator is going to get promoted within a short period of time and then on top of that is you come in with minimal mechanical ability even even just a aptitude of hey let's cross let's figure this out companies are going to pay for those people to get whatever training they need and they're going to try to hold them hold on to them and that you know that's kind of we help them hold on to them but that that workforce i'm excited to see see it differently like I, i'm excited to see and i grew up in a, a small at the time as a blue collar town my my rich friend's dad was a plumber like that's that's, yeah. that's a rich guy yeah was he, he running the business at yeah. that point yeah yeah I was, I, i've been telling people it's like if you can learn the trade and you can pick up some of the business savviness that goes with it and then you can start running the show man that is a lucrative kind of under the radar career opportunity right, right there right he, he said uh and, and i um i remember this quote like it was yesterday he's like mike you can you can, and we're in outside of Champagne. I grew up outside of Champagne, so it's college town's 20 minutes away from my hometown. And um, he goes, I can find somebody on every corner that can write you a paper, but there is nobody that can fix a toilet. So yeah. there's only, you know, there's only a few companies that can. And, and think about that concept. Think about that concept and where we're going with the workforce right now. I can find somebody that can do analyst work. I can find a entry level uh marketing. I can find entry level CFO, not what's entry level CFO. And yeah. uh, financial analyst. Financial analyst. Like there we go. I could find a financial analyst. Uh, but but if you can find somebody that can fix a machine mm -hmm. and let alone be in the let alone program it, where does that head? And uh yeah, it'll be interesting as we automate more 
as we automate more in the office, what that looks like in our world. I'm excited to see how that plays out. I'm excited to see how the adventure for Seki plays out as well. As we wrap up, what's the best way to connect with you? Any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with? My beer's done. So, yeah, all right. Like, uh, or, yeah. No, you, just, you don't need to chug it. You only have like one sip left, but that's a that, maybe that's a new rule of the podcast. The beers need to be finished yeah, by the end of the episode. I like that. <laughs> Especially, yeah, they got to pound it. Yeah. I, I think I'd leave it low. So, set up a demo with us. Yeah. Let us walk. You know, I've talked about, I've d- done a lot of talking. I'm an ops guy. You know, show me. The thing that I, I'm going to hit you with just a couple of results is the Fortune 500 customer we have year over year, 2022, 2023, mm-hmm. with minimal market changes, big metro market. They lost, they implemented us. And if we look at February to July, year over year, they lost 68 less people than the previous year. This is a facility of about 400. Nice. 68 wow. less people, four to five grand. A turnover that's like cheap that is uh 20 to 15 percent of the workforce right there based on the numbers you just threw out it's it's a crazy number i i i, I don't need a the data is the data they they lost 68 less people year over year they give us credit uh for having a huge impact on the 68 are we all at 68 according to me yes according to them maybe i'm 60 uh but close enough close to a big number it's a big yeah. number right so if you save that, the implications of you're well over a half million dollars in savings. And then you add in all the numbers that went up because they got to keep people. And the thing that sticks out to me more than anything is don't let your bad employees chase off your good ones. We had yeah. somebody say that to us. And it is it is so true that if you let a bad employee, they can chase off the good ones. And when you reward and recognize the right behaviors, this is not complicated. What's complicated is getting everybody coordinated in the line. That's the complication. And that's where we come in and we just simplify the heck out of it. And two clicks to value, man, that's that's it. So just wanted to leave you with that stat and I appreciate your time and let me talk about Seki. This has been a blast. I love all the storytelling. This has been an hour well spent don't let your bad employees chase off your good ones. Great note to end it on. Obviously, everyone should know how to spell Seki by this point because yeah. we spelled it like three times. But for everyone out there, there are notes. Uh, there's links over in the show notes. You know how to connect with Mike, all that jazz. This has been a blast. Thanks so much for coming, hanging out at the bar, doing things the way manufacturing happy hour should be done. Thanks a bunch. Cool. Shake hands. Is that cheers. weird? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Can't, we can't cheers, cheers on his glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. See you, folks. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening. You know, what jumped out at me during that interview was leveraging data to make frontline work better. You know, I know that was an overarching theme, but when we were talking about how Seki makes it easier to have meaningful performance reviews with frontline workers, Mike covered that not only from the standpoint of the individual running the review, but the folks running the show on the plant floor too. Not to mention the emphasis on using it as a recognition tool, cutting turnover in half happens when you focus on the positives. Mike said it, everyone's a leader and you don't want to let your bad employees chase off your good ones. 
You know, it's very cool to see what Mike and Seki are doing to make all this possible. So Mike, thank you for jumping on the show. For all you out there, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes page, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 164. There you can find a link to connect with Mike on LinkedIn. You can get to Seki. And of course, you can check out Pete's Pub in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Got a link there as well. Brady Street, it's a very cool place. I know I'm biased because I live here, but you should check it out if you're in Milwaukee. Personally, I love an old school Wisconsin bar just off the street a little bit called Wolski's that's also in that area. You know, if you're a world traveler, you might have seen some of their famous I closed Wolski stickers and bars or hostels or chairlift poles at ski resorts around the world. I mean, they're literally everywhere. They're notorious. Um, but, you know, I'm just rambling at this point. Come to Milwaukee. Check out Brady Street. Have a good time. That was not the point of this week's interview. The point of this week's interview was Mike was Seki. But I do have a couple announcements here at the end. First, if you want to take part in conversations like this, Join our Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community, that group. We're over on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. And if you want to join the group, send a request. It's a private group. And make sure to send me a note as well so I know that you want in. The other thing I want to say is thank you, Traction. Thank you, Gray Solutions, for sponsoring this episode. And then thank you to Seki, because as of this episode, Manufacturing Happy Hour and myself we are referral partners for Seki. So if you reach out to Mike, please make sure to let him know that you heard about Seki on Manufacturing Happy Hour. So a lot of thank yous this week. Thank you to you as always for listening. Thank you to everyone that makes this show possible. And with that, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.